This is the Anatomy of a Scream Pod Squad Network. Hello, and welcome to Bodies of Horror the podcast where we look at all of our favorite horror films from the classic, the camp, to the cringe, through the lens of disability. I'm your host, Nicole, and I am thrilled to have you here. So, what is on the examination table for this episode? We are going back to King Country, and I am going to be looking at 1996's Thinner. Let's just get right into it. Did you weigh yourself? 297. Billy, you were 297 last week. It takes some time for these diets to work. For Billy Halleck, life is sweet. Maybe I gotta rub the Buddha! Bigger is better. I hate it when you do that. No, you love it. And too much is never enough. Winning! Winning! You've gotta stop eating like that. I can't help it, Heidi. All I think about is food. But tonight, all of that will change. You kill my daughter and I curse you. Sinner. From the best selling novel by Stephen King comes the new shape of terror. This diet you're on, what is it? I don't think you'd like it, Henry. I'm being erased. Fear the power. That old gypsy put a curse on me. It's all your fault if you hadn't hit that old lady. Beware the danger. This is getting out of hand. This has been out of hand, and I'm just the guy to put it back. Believe the curse. Please, take it off before this goes any further. I never take it off. Stephen King's Thinner. More terror. Less filling. All right, let's get into the plot synopsis. Billy Halleck is an obese upper class lawyer who lives with his wife Heidi and their daughter Linda in New England. Billy recently defended an underworld mafia boss named Richie the Hammer, Janelli, in court and is now celebrating his acquittal on a murder charge. Heidi, trying to persuade him to forget about his obsession with food, tries to give Billy oral sex as he is driving. Distracted, Billy accidentally runs over an elderly Romani woman named Suzanne Lemke, killing her. He is acquitted in the proceedings by his friend Judge Carrie Rossington. The local police chief, Duncan Hopley, also obstructs the case by committing perjury for Billy. Outraged by the injustice, Suzanne's father, Tad Zulemke, places a curse on Billy on the steps of the courthouse by touching his face and uttering, Thinner. Soon afterward, Billy begins to lose weight rapidly, despite not exercising or sticking to his diet. Heidi, fearing the weight loss may be due to cancer, calls Dr. Mike Houston, with whom Billy begins to suspect his wife is having an affair. Billy learns that Rossington and Hopley have also been cursed. Rossington has become kind of a lizard-like being, 
and hopefully has developed ulcers on his face and hands. Both Rosington and hopefully die by suicide. Billy tracks down the Romani camp and tries to reason with Tazu. Tazu threatens to make the curse worse if he doesn't leave. Gina, Tazu's great-granddaughter, uses her slingshot to shoot a large ball bearing which goes through Billy's hand, infuriating him into vowing revenge against Tazu and the other Romani people who live there. Billy enlists Janelli to attack the Romani camp and persuade Tazu to lift the curse. Chaining a spell, Tazu mixes Billy's blood into a strawberry pie. Tazu states that if someone else eats the pie, the curse will kill them quickly and Billy will be spared. He urges Billy to eat the pie himself and die with dignity, but Billy refuses. Billy arrives home and gives Heidi the strawberry pie. She delightedly eats a piece. The next morning, Billy finds her desiccated corpse next to him. He is gleeful to be free of the curse and of what he believes his disloyal wife. However, when he goes downstairs, he discovers that his daughter has eaten some of the pie for breakfast. Racked with guilt, he prepares to eat the rest of the pie. However, he is interrupted by Mike at the door. Mike grows uncomfortable and struggles to explain his unannounced presence, seemingly confirming Billy's suspicion of an affair between Mike and Heidi. Billy invites Mike in for a piece of pie and closes the door with a smirk. Before I get into the disability-related content, I do want to give a little bit of background on both the book and the movie because I think there's some really interesting aspects here. So, the book was published in 1984 under Stephen King's pen name Richard Bachman. Only a year later, 1985, the connection between Stephen and Richard Bachman would become public. Now, there would be two subsequent books published under Bachman's name, but they were kind of considered uh, posthumous. So, you know, after essentially King had killed off his Bachman alter ego, and those would be The Regulators, released in 1996, and Blaze, released in 2007. So, I think it's also important to note that Thinner was the last kind of Bachman adaptation to film as well. Now, at this time, Stephen King was in prep to publish Misery, I believe, and was intending to do so under the name of Richard Bachman, but once this news came out, he obviously had to switch gears. I think this is just an interesting thing because in doing some research for this episode and going back and reading um, a handful of reviews of the book, a lot of people liken this to being the most King-esque of the Bachman books. So, you know, the question to ask is, you know, was the kind of pseudonym that King had developed, the alter ego, to publish, you know, work of a certain tone, uh, starting to kind of build into where he was at mentally as well. And was there kind of a shift already going on where he himself would want to, uh, you know, break away from the alter ego of Richard Bachman? I think there's just a lot of interesting thoughts in that camp. So, um, 
yeah, that's kind of where Stephen King was at. And we'll circle back to more of what inspired Stephen to write this book when we dig into, I think, the disability-related content. But now I want to switch gears and go back to adaptation. So like I mentioned, this is really the last adaptation of a Richard Bachman property. Now, I think there's some stuff that is potentially in the works, maybe a remake of uh, The Running Man or um, an adaptation of The Long Walk. But until those things kind of come to fruition, this is really the last Bachman adaptation. And so the rights for this were grabbed, I think, pretty quickly after it was published, I want to say around 1985, but there wasn't a lot of interest in the property right away, and so it just kind of stayed stagnant. Now, one of the people that had signed on, I think, fairly early on was Tom Holland, a director of Child's Play, Fright Night, so had some established credentials, if you will, and, but it wasn't until, honestly, uh, the, I guess, success of Tom Holland's other Stephen King adaptation, the miniseries of The Langoliers, that it was really able to move forward. So he had written a number of versions of the script. I think uh, one article that I read said up to 15. So he was really invested in this project. It wasn't well received upon its release and a lot of people just find it's dealing with the kind of topics at hand really clumsy. It has a pretty low Rotten Tomatoes score if that's something that you put stock into, which I know isn't uh, a lot of folks, but again, just something of interest there. But one of the things in reading some initial reviews of the film that I found really interesting is that a lot of people applaud or recognize how well some of the effects were around the kind of body changes that the character Billy goes through. Now, the fat suit that uh, Robert John Burke, who plays Billy, starts out in is pretty horrendous, um, but most of the reviews really focus in on kind of the subsequent transitions. How once you get away from the almost cartoonish look of uh, the fat suit at the beginning as he's starting to lose the weight, the transition really seems to work. And there's a good deal of appreciation for the special effects work that Greg Cannon had done. All right, so... That's a little bit of background, but let's start getting into some of the disability-related kind of themes and ideas that I think this movie has, which is why I was interested in covering it. So Stephen King was inspired to write this story when a doctor told him that he needed to lose some weight. He called himself as kind of entering heart attack country, which is also a line in the movie. So 
he understood the seriousness of this. And of course, you know, anyone who kind of uh, knows Stephen King and his work, Stephen King is a man that has delved into some vices, but he, like I said, understood kind of the seriousness of this and was committed to making some lifestyle changes, including quitting smoking and losing weight. So he talks about a feeling of anger that kind of came from this discussion because he felt like he didn't really have a choice in being able to lose weight or not. He, again, of course, understood the importance of being healthy and, and the impact that this was having on his health. But he was kind of reacting to the feeling of not having a sense of control. And so to pull a quote from a Washington Post interview from that time, he says, I spent a very angry weekend off by myself. I thought about it, thought about how awful they were to make me do all these terrible things to save my life. I went and I lost weight and pretty much quit smoking. So again, speaking to that anger. Um, so he was able to lose the weight. And um, he also talked uh, candidly about kind of that experience as well. And I found this so interesting. So here's another quote from this interview. Once the weight actually started to come off, I began to realize that I was attached to it somehow, that I didn't really want to lose it. I began to think about what would happen if someone started to lose weight and couldn't stop. So again, I think we're talking about aspects of control. I've talked a little bit in other episodes. I think primarily I'm thinking of the episode where I talked about the exorcist of control and autonomy, where when you're not able to make the choices or be the person that is, uh, I guess, kind of guiding any changes in your, I guess, day-to-day -day life, it can feel really frustrating and anger-inducing. And so I found it really powerful that Stephen so succinctly put a voice to that to be like, hey, a doctor was telling me to do something and it kind of pissed me off because that's part and parcel of, you know, being a person with a disability. We don't want to do half the shit that we have to do, but we always have to come in with the approach of, all right, well, Let's listen, let's have a discussion, and let's figure out if this is the best choice uh, for me moving forward. As an adult, the final say is always yours, um, unless there are some extenuating circumstances in certain situations. But the choice is always yours. You can always completely ignore, disregard what a doctor may say, or again, it's having conversations with medical professionals to say, all right, well, what, what are we talking about? What are my options and which of these options is going to work best 
for me and what is going to be more feasible. And so even though I, I, we're talking about choice, I think this is choice in terms of where the initial concern discussion really jumps off. Being told you need to make these changes in your life or you need to take this medication, you, you need to do X for your health. If that's not the conversation that you're starting, it can still feel really upsetting and like, all right, well, how am I going to do this? And do I have to do this? The character of Billy is obviously a proxy for King in this story in a lot of ways, but I think we see from the very beginning how these ideas differ and how King wanted to explore some other ideas where King was receptive of making these lifestyle changes and doing things to improve his health, we see Billy take a very different track and that even though medical professionals and family have said, hey, we have some concerns about your health and we want to talk about it and he seems to be, you know, oh, I'll... I'll go on this diet, but yet he doesn't really stick to anything. So this kind of goes into the next point that I want to make. When we take this initial picture that we have of Billy Plus, we put this together with the actions that we see with him as a lawyer. This goes into the heartless defense lawyer trope. A lawyer that doesn't care about what crime their client may have committed, just about the outcome going in their favor and will celebrate when that happens. It's, like I said, a trope that has a lot of harm to it, but we see that with Billy and Janelli. When Billy and Heidi get into the accident, Billy seems less concerned about what he's done as opposed to what could happen to him as a result. And the way that that plays out is he refuses to take accountability for the action. Accidents happen, and instead of saying, I did this, it was an accident, having some consequences as a result, Billy chooses to put accountability anywhere and everywhere else, plus pull strings that he has to not face any consequences, both, I think, in terms of legal repercussions, but also just kind of that self-reflection and kind of inner um, reconciliation, I guess. He doesn't want to take any kind of accountability. So when you put this all together to paint kind of this picture of Billy, when Tadzu curses him, we're supposed to see this as just punishment in a way. The illness or sickness as a punishment for a transgression is a really 
common kind of thing that we see in films, especially in horror, but it comes with a lot of complicated uh, baggage, so to speak. I think it's kind of hard for me to divorce some of my feelings about this from my own personal lived experience and also being told that my disability is a punishment, although a punishment religious in nature, as opposed to being based in a fairly stereotypical to racist portrayal of Romani people. But keeping it moving, once the impact of the curse starts to take hold and Billy is losing weight, at first there doesn't seem to be an issue. He's able to lose weight, he's getting the compliments, and he's not having to do the work that other folks had suggested he do. He's not having to cut back on his food, he's not having to do additional exercise, he's not having to make any kind of lifestyle choices, take any kind of medications, any of that. The weight is just simply coming off. And at first, this is okay. He's not seemingly in ill health, so he's kind of able to say, all right, well, maybe I, I made a change here or there, and that's why this is happening. But once it gets to a point of, all right, this isn't, you know, uh, this isn't normal uh, in any way, shape, or form. Feeling that something is obviously wrong, he's not able to find any solutions in going to the doctor and having some pretty extensive medical testing done. Everything is coming back normal. And that is one of the most horrific feelings that I think a lot of people can relate to when you're not feeling well, if you're having some health issues and you're going to the doctor to look for answers and you're not getting them and you just feel like something is wrong, there's something off in your body and you're not getting solutions and it can be absolutely petrifying. And I think one of the things that is handled extremely well in this film is that you can see the increasing kind of fear and desperation uh, creep into uh, kind of Billy's demeanor as, you know, he starts to realize that there isn't going to be a solution that is easily attainable or not even easy just having an answer because Heidi expresses her fear and concern and fear that it could be cancer, which is obviously a life-changing diagnosis to receive, but for some, that can be at least viewed as an answer. When you have been struggling with something without any kind of insight as to what is going on, that diagnosis, although so difficult, can at least be an answer and you can at least start to figure out what your next steps may be. 
And so Billy is really out there in that kind of area where there are no answers. He's not getting help and he's still reluctant to believe that it's a curse. Rossington and hopefully uh, dying by suicide, I think also speaks to the fear and desperation that can come from these moments because they're probably having the, the same experience going through a debilitating uh, change in their bodies and not being able to find answers. The idea of death by suicide comes back when Billy is given the pie. He's told that the right thing to do would be eat the pie himself. While he would die, he would die with the curse and no one else would be impacted. But Billy takes another route. To kind of close up the discussion around kind of the disability-related stuff and thinner, I do want to circle back to the illness as a punishment because at the very end, Billy, instead of eating the pie himself, gives the pie to his wife, Heidi, because he believes that she's had an affair. And so this is her comeuppance. Also, he has somehow blamed her for the accident because she was giving him a blowjob, which distracted him. And of course, that's her fault. I don't, like, I could go on a whole tangent about the misogyny in the book and film, but I think that kind of says it all. So, um, you know, again, it's about Billy not wanting to pay for his actions and not take on any consequences of his actions, always finding someone else to take the blame. And unfortunately, that also then bleeds over to his daughter, who is obviously innocent in all things and has eaten the pie because it was left out. And so we know that both his wife and daughter are essentially dead. And I think there's also this theme of, you know, the people around you paying for your mistakes when you're not willing to take accountability, but also, again, going back to that disability illness as a punishment, like I've shared before, um, you know, being told as a child that my disability, my illnesses were a punishment from God because of the transgressions of my mom. So it's just kind of, uh, I don't know, it's, it's an icky kind of uh, way to end the film. And I should say that this is also different from the ending of the book because in the book, Billy does eat the pie himself. Um, so uh, you also get the bit where, again, Billy can wield it as punishment to Dr. Mike. 
I don't know. It's kind of icky, but, you know, I think we do love uh, kind of a revenge bit in our stories here and there. So, I don't know. Um, but I think that that, in terms of, like, disability-related stuff in there, I think that's kind of it. I know it sounds like I've come down kind of harsh on this film. I actually do enjoy it <laughs> quite a bit. Um, but I think that doesn't mean I don't recognize just a lot of really, really uncomfortable uh, themes and ideas and and moments. Uh, and same with the book. I do like the book. I'm a huge defender of what I like to call Trash King. I think there's a lot of interesting ideas that King has even when the execution of them isn't great. But yeah, this this definitely has some real some real sticky, icky moments and uh, I just thought it would be interesting to kind of put out there and, and talk a little bit about. As always, thank you so much for listening and for being along for this ride back to King Country. I hope that this has been an interesting episode to listen to. I'm so excited for what we have in store. I have maybe a couple of guests that will be coming by for some episodes, so be on the lookout for that. I I love uh, having guests, and I think it's going to be a ton of fun, so stick around for that. Of course, a big thank you to Anatomy of a Scream, where Bodies of Horror has their home. If you haven't subscribed to the feed, what are you doing with your life right now? Make sure you are subscribed because beyond Bodies of Horror, there's just really amazing, amazing uh, content on the feed that you don't want to miss out on. I think I mentioned in the last episode that White Ladies in Crisis is doing their recap of Physical, which is a show I absolutely love, and they are killing it. So you don't want to uh, uh, sleep on that if you enjoy that show, because their, uh, their kind of discussions about the episodes just, I think, really add quite a bit for me after I've seen it. So Make sure you have subscribed, and if you want to reach out to me and say, hey, if you have films that you think would be interesting to cover on the pod, whatever the case, always feel free to reach out. You can reach me at bodiesofhorror at gmail.com. And until next time. Scream Pod Squad.